0: Welcome to Sanford University's campus worship. We hope you enjoy the presentation. Good morning. Good morning, Sanford. It is truly a privilege to be here in the sanctuary of the Lord this morning to gather for worship, uh, to sing songs, to hear the word proclaimed. So I just want to give honor to God for the opportunity to be here and for his presence in my life. I want to acknowledge the presence of my family and some friends of mine from the church. Just wave your hands, everybody. Uh, I thank you all for being here, setting time out of your schedules to come and be with us this morning. And I also want to say thank you to Matt Curlin for extending this opportunity to come and preach the word. This task before us this morning is not to say anything new or different, but to agree with what has been said since the beginning of time in the scriptures as God has revealed himself to us. So let us give attention to Luke chapter 14. So if you want to take out your Bibles or your phone apps and turn there with me, and we're going to read this passage starting at Luke 14, verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they were seeking places of honor. And he was saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your, your spirit and your presence here with us. Thank you for your revealed word. And, Lord, I would ask that through the power of your spirit that you would illumine our hearts that we might receive, that you might move our wills, that we might obey you in humility. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's a song that goes, I can do anything better than you can. I can do anything better than you. No, you can't. Yes, I can. No, you can't. But I really can. No, you can't. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And yes, I can. On the surface level, this appears to be a cute nursery rhyme, but there's a little bit of arrogance here in this tone. I could do anything really better than you can. So in our passage for today here in Luke 14, verses 7 through 11, there is arrogance here that I want to bring our attention to. It is helpful to recall that the gospel as recorded by Luke, this is not some random passage or book in the Bible, that exists separately from what God has been doing in creation. In the opening passage in Luke chapter 1, there's a prayer that Mary says here, and it ties in how God, through the history of Israel, has been faithful to his covenant. And so here at the very beginning, Luke is wanting to help us see That this passage is in echo with what has been happening in Scripture and how God has been redeeming Israel, reconciling the world to himself. And we notice at the beginning, verses 1 through 4, that this is written to Theophilus. Who is Theophilus? The word just simply means lover of God. Perhaps Theophilus is a real person like you, Kyra, or myself. Or perhaps Theophilus could represent a general audience that Luke wants to address anybody who fits the description of lovers of God. And he says, I'm teaching you all these things. I've given an orderly account of these things so that you might be sure of those things you've been taught, those things you've received. Well, Luke, help us to see what things have been received. Well, he says that his orderly account in this gospel is of all the things that he's received from the eyewitnesses. He himself was not there, but these things that he gave a detailed account of. So he's going to help us see so that we might be sure of these things that we've been taught. Luke, Helps us to see that these teachings that have been received, the teachings of Jesus, how are we now to live? He says things like, repent, believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He also says strange things like, love your enemies, pray for those who abuse you and misuse you. He takes the culture and turns it upside down. He turns it on his head, so immediately on the scene, Jesus is preaching and teaching in the synagogues with authority. But Jesus is not in the synagogue in our text, he's here reclining at the table at the house of one of the rulers of the Pharisees. Now this is a little bit strange because this, before we understand what 7 through 11 is going to say through us, it's helpful to briefly overview the first six verses. We're told that we're on the Sabbath and he's at the house of a Pharisee. So I ask myself, okay, is this the first time Jesus was eating with these Pharisees? No. We see that in Luke chapter 5, around Verse 29, that Jesus just called Levi the tax collector. Come and follow me. So Levi prepares this great feast for Jesus. And in the presence of Jesus at this meal, there are Pharisees who are grumbling. They're saying, who is this Jesus who is rejecting us and coming to eat with these sinners, these tax collectors? Jesus perceiving that they were grumbling, he says, actually, I've come to save not the righteous, but the lost. So chill, bro. We also see in Luke chapter 11, around verse number 37 through 44, now here's another meal that Jesus finds himself again with the Pharisees. This time, his rebuke is a little bit more edgy. It's a little bit more offensive. He says to the Pharisees, you seek great places and recognition in the synagogues and in the marketplace. You're so worried about being clean." And washing the hands but inside of you you are full of wickedness and greed and you are disgusting this is not exactly polite table talk Jesus what are you doing here so it is this tension we're on the edge of our seats we we read that Jesus was eating with the Pharisees in Luke 5 Luke 11 and he was offensive so we're like all right Jesus what are you gonna say this time are you gonna mind your manners are you gonna be on your best behavior So verses seven through nine, he tells a parable, the parable of the wedding feast. He says, when you are invited by someone, do not, do not what? Do not seek a place of honor. Jesus is speaking in the imperative here. This is not a neutral stance of Jesus. It is clear that he does not approve of the pride, this haughtiness. Can't you just see them? They're around the dinner table and they're elbowing one another I wanna sit by the host. In this culture, the the closer you can sit to the host, that was a place of prominence, the more recognized you'd be. This would be the talk of the town later on. We wanna notice here that right before verse seven that Luke, he's a physician, so he tells us that this man who Jesus heals on the Sabbath, he had dropsy. Now what in the world is dropsy? Dropsy is what we would call our present day edema. It is when the organs do not function properly that they become full of fluid. And so you're so puffed up. It is suggested that in this text, this man here who has dropsy is about three times his life size. Well, why does this detail matter? And how is this going to help us hear what Jesus has to say and teach through this parable of the wedding feast? Perhaps, this is just a suggestion, perhaps Luke wants to help us see there's a man over here who is physically ill, physically puffed up, full of liquids and fluids, water that is not draining properly on his body. And this helps suggest that the Pharisees have a dropsy of sorts. They are puffed up with knowledge because remember that the Pharisees, they are the leaders of the synagogue. They are the religious elite. If you want to know anything concerning the law or the Bible, you go ask the Pharisees and they would teach it. They walk around puffed up, haughty, larger than life because of what they thought they knew concerning the law. And so this negative instruction, this imperative do not, Eugene Peterson, the founding pastor of Christ Our King Presbyterian Church in Maryland, she says that the wedding feast, this is, this is a meal where, this is on the Sabbath where we are just leaving the temple, we have just left worship, we've received teaching from the law on what it means to, to live. But instead, the priorities of the Pharisees here In verses 7 through 9, they've missed the point. They are not here at this meal remembering the worship that they've just engaged in. They are here worried about themselves. They're puffed up with pride and arrogance. They're trying to find the best seat. They are forsaking the principles of Sabbath, of coming together to be unified, to share a meal, to have an exchange and to receive, to celebrate what God has done, how he's provided for us how he's provided food, his faithfulness to his covenant. But instead, they are here. They've missed the point. They are dining with Jesus on the Sabbath, and they're not even concerned about it. They're worried about having the best seat. They're worried about having something to go and tell mama and them, I was at the meal with Jesus, and I was sitting closest to the host. I'm somebody. Is that not like how we are sometimes, friends? We allow our abilities and our natural talents to allow us to become so puffed up with pride, our natural abilities at sports, our academic abilities to digest works and philosophy and, and theology, where we completely miss that these good gifts in and of themselves are good. They've been given to us to point us to who Christ is. It is good for us to be able to hone in on the language of what we say about God, what we think we've heard him said in scriptures about himself. But these are not to become idols. Jesus' teaching here is coming against this culture where you say where you should seek honor for yourself and sit in places of importance. Jesus is saying, no, do not sit in the places of honor. Do not seek these out for yourselves. How is this helpful for us in our culture? What are some idols in our culture? Remember, this is in the context of the Sabbath meal, worship. What are some idols that would threaten to distract us from worshiping God? Perhaps it might be football. Ouch. Ouch. Or what about sports? We're here at Sanford University, a Christian university, where we take much pride in knowing the Ten Commandments and the law and being able to walk through and exegete the Greek and the Hebrew, but God is speaking to us too. Let us not let these things become idols that would distract us from worshiping, but let us instead tune our ears into what Christ is teaching here through this parable about how the kingdom of God operates. It is not one that operates in arrogance or pride. Jesus uses parables to teach us how to allow the spirit to enable us to walk humbly before him and with one another. We see a great example of pride of what we should not do in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. Here, this is where a Pharisee and a tax collector have both gone into the temple to worship. And the Pharisee begins his prayer, Lord God, I thank you that I am not like those Whoremongers, these people over here, for I tithe, I fast, I do this, I do that. He musters up within himself this arrogant religiosity, this legalism. Lord, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Therefore, I'm better than this guy. This is in stark contrast to this tax collector who is on his knees, and he's beating his chest saying, Oh, God, have mercy on me. Luke tells us that in this passage that it is not this arrogant and prideful Pharisee, but it is the tax collector, the sinner, the outcast of society who leaves justified. May we not miss Jesus in doing all these things. This is not about doing, 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 but what has been done in Christ. Proverbs 16, 18 echoes this idea of not being puffed up, Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit, an arrogant spirit, before a downfall. We would do good today, friends, to take heed to Scripture. Then there's a shift in the passage. We move from do not in verses 7 through 9. Do not do this. Do not seek places of honor. But, this is a huge but, B-U-T. But instead, Jesus is placing this in contrast with what has come before, where he said, Do not seek places of honor for yourselves. Instead, go and sit in the lowest place. He gives a big weighty statement at the end of this passage. Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, humbled will be exalted. Jesus, this is not usual teaching. This is seeking recognition. He's talking about humility here. Let us not miss, again, this is the, the parable of the wedding feast where Jesus seeks to teach us how to walk humbly before God and with others. And this is enabled through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a great example of what this humility looks like that Jesus is getting at here, here in first. Samuel 16, there's the narrative of David and how he's anointed king over Israel. Samuel comes to the house and has Jesse line up all of his brothers, David's brothers. And these are men who are very handsome, very tall, very muscular. They might resemble the physique of bodybuilders. And Samuel's walking through. He's like, no, these these are not it. This is not who God is going to anoint. But we forget about little old lowly shepherd boy, David. He's out in the field, very humble. Very humble doing dirty work, getting his hands dirty. He's not in the house flaunting. As the popular song says, this is a no-flex zone. David is not trying to pump himself up. Another example of humility that we see in scriptures, it is the narrative of Joseph. Genesis chapter 37 through 50, this narrative comes to the forefront. It talks about how Joseph was sold into slavery. He was hated by his brothers. He received these dreams, and he would brag about them, look. I had this dream. You're going to serve me one day. You're going to bow down. Not only was he sold into slavery by the gypsies, he eventually ends up in jail. But we got to keep reading the story because just like there's a shift that takes place in this parable, there's a shift that takes place in the life of Joseph. Where he was once in jail, he is exalted to a place of authority. He becomes a governor over Egypt. Let that be an encouragement and a reminder to us, friends, that whatever God has called us to do in this life. Whether it's being a janitor, whether it's a banker, we're pursuing majors, we're here studying. Do not use your occupations or the things that you do to look down upon other people. We are not identified by what we do. Our identity is found and rooted in who Christ says that we are. Remember that Joseph did not give up. He obeyed the covenant. David was faithful to tending to his sheep. But God, in his humility, exalted the two of them. So, may we continue to be faithful also to what God is calling us to do. 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7 says, Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, for in due time he will exalt you. We cannot promote ourselves. We can do all that we wish to do, but it will happen in God's timing, according to his plan. Amen. Here we see that Jesus not only rebukes the guests who were invited in verses 7 through 11, but he also turns his attention to the people, the hosts, who invited them. Here, something unsabbath like happens. This host, notice that he invites Pharisees. And Jesus is very perceptive. He noticed this, and he says, do not invite your family. Do not invite these people who can pay you back. But instead, to this great banquet, invite the poor. Invite the powerless. Invite those who are not able to do anything for you. Because you will receive your reward at the resurrection of the jest. Jesus here is saying, Use your resources. Use the gifts and the abilities and the talents that God has given you not to glorify yourself, not to seek places of recognition or honor, but to those who can't pay you back. Well, how do do we do this? This sounds so abstract. This is kind of hanging up above our heads in the ceiling. Well, let's bring it home. What are we going to be able to do in light of this parable of the wedding feast? Philippians 2. Paul is speaking here verses one through five, and he gives us some very good practical application. He says, if there is any encouragement in the spirit, if there be any comfort in love, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but instead consider the needs of others before you. So so what are you saying, Paul? Perhaps he's saying not to think less of yourself. This is not humility. This is false humility but thinking of yourself less, thinking of the needs of you before I put myself there. Paul is not encouraging us to neglect ourselves and bring glory to ourselves by, oh, y'all, I fast. I don't eat three meals a day like you. I don't wear brand name clothing. I don't look nice. I don't get up and I don't actually care about how I look physically in my appearance. I don't drive nice things. I don't have nice homes. He is not condemning that at all. But what he is warning against is allowing those things to become idols in our lives. But instead, do not seek the places of honor, but go sit in the lowest place. This is how we're able to live in humility before God and with one another. We have the great example of one who has come among us and lived with great humility, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5 sums up those practical ways of living in humility with one another. And it says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. What was the mind of Christ? Christ came all the way from glory down to the lowly, humble earth. He came not in flash or grandeur, but in humility. We remember that he was born through the Virgin Mary. And that wasn't enough. He was laid in a horse trough. That was his bed. There was no room for the Son of Man who had just entered the world. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that you might be exalted. Jesus lived a life of humility. Yes, he taught with authority in the synagogues, and as we see here at this table with the Pharisees, but Jesus ate with the tax collectors. He ate with the sinners. He did those things that were social no-nos. He talked to the woman at the well. He healed the woman with the issue of blood. This is our humble Jesus. To look on his appearance, there was nothing about him that particularly would have said, Oh, this man's going to be important. This is somebody. If actually Jesus was not looked well upon by the Pharisees in society, this is our humble Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, who suffered on our behalf. He suffered on your behalf, and your behalf, and your behalf. He was beaten. He was lied upon. He was framed. This is the humble Jesus. He was crucified. He bore sin, death, hell, and pain in his body physically physically. This is the humble Jesus. He did not come promoting himself but pointing to all that the law and the prophets have been witnessing and bearing witness to. This is the humble Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and humbled himself so much so that he was humiliated publicly on the cross. This is the Jesus who died, who did not take himself down from the cross. He was mocked. He was despised. He was rejected. This is the humble Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a shift in this story. He was humbled, but on the third day, he was resurrected. He was raised with all authority and all power in his hand. This is the Lord Jesus who was once humble, who has now been exalted. The Gospel of Luke helps us see that he was not only resurrected, but the end of this book ends with the ascension. So Christ was resurrected, and he ascended into heaven in a place of authority. But he's also coming back one day. He's going to come back for his church. And so this is our guide for how we are to walk humbly before God and with one another. I don't want you to mishear what I'm saying this morning. This is not a message that is at strict moralism or legalism of do, do, do. But it is what has been D-O-N-E in Christ. It is only because of Christ that we are truly able to be reconciled. It is Christ who has extended the ultimate invitation of hospitality. We see a meal here, but God in Christ has extended an invitation to the table to come and sup with him, to come in fellowship and dwell in harmony with God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Will you accept this invitation today? Yes, because of what has been done in Christ, we are reconciled to him. And it is through that, through the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to humble ourselves. Paul helps us see in Galatians 5.22 that there's this war between the flesh and the spirit. This is not in our natural proclivities to do this. We want to do what we want to do and and seek our own good and, and live according to the flesh. But humility is also mentioned in the fruit of the spirit. So this is able, we're only able to do this through the power of the Holy Spirit, friends. So what do we do? May we pray that God through his spirit would help us to remain humble. May we remember what Christ has done and how He is the perfect example of humility and how He's extended himself to us. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who was humbled, who Philippians 2 goes on to tells us that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May we remember to walk in humility before God and with one another. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that your word has gone forth and has fallen on good soil, Jesus. And that the rest of the day, the rest of this week, that you would remind us to walk in humility before you and with one another. We thank you for your spirit who empowers us and enables us. May you be glorified now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more information about Sanford University, check out samford.edu.